I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary series, Gunther's Millions. It's been a crazy ride. There's all of this money and this fortune with a dog fronting it. So this is the story of how it started. Today, we're talking to director Aurelien Lettergy and executive producer Emily Dumais. When a German countess died in 1992, she left her fortune to the only family she had, her dog Gunther. At the direction of Gunther's caretaker, Maurizio Moran, the world's richest dog enjoyed yachts, private jets, Madonna's mansion, and started a rock band that was maybe a sex cult, studied by researchers in white coats. What was really going on here? The series Gunther's Millions pops the bubble on this feel-good story the press swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Was there ever really a countess? Was it just a tax dodge, a prank on the media, or was it all an elaborate scheme by one clinically depressed man to see if he could literally buy happiness with Gunther's millions? Was it an imagination to resolve an emotional issue of somebody who he lost as a friend? Or was it just a tool to funnel money so that you don't have to pay taxes on it? And I'm joined by director Aurelien Lettergy and executive producer Emily Dumay. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Aurelian, uh, the story of Gunther and his caretaker has been around a really long time, and many of the facts that we thought about the case just aren't true. I'm wondering, did you begin this project thinking the people you'd interview would tell you the whole story about Gunther's millions? Well, I mean, the media has, you know, been reporting on the story for years. And so we knew that when we came in, however, you know, and that, that's where, that's where our, you know, work started is we couldn't get the full picture by reading the articles and, and everything else. And we knew that the, the story was so outlandish and, and so buzzy and there was not a lot written on it for at least more recently that we, uh, we were on to something very special. So there's the story that we thought we knew and then the story that's revealed. So let's start with what was in the press, what we thought we knew. Um, Emily, can you just remind us about the conventional story about how Gunther came into his millions? Yeah. The story that we that that's been out there and that people know about uh, is that Gunther is the richest dog in the world and he inherited four hundred million dollars from a German countess. Uh, she actually set up a dynasty, a bloodline uh, in which the money would be transferred from one Gunther to another. And we're now at Gunther the Six, and he's living this lavish lifestyle. And this is uh, what the story uh, that's been in the media and that's been out there uh, all along. I'm wondering, you know, ostensibly Gunther got his millions from this countess. Did journalists ever, like, examine closely who this person was? Uh, well, I mean, they, they tried. I think that there, there were a few attempts in the past. I, and, and, and the one that, that was actually the closest was in 1995. 
there were reports and journalists claiming that the story was was not what it, we thought it was. But you know, w- that was before the era of social media, and and really, I think that made a big difference. You know, a story would come out on magazine, perhaps in Italy or in Europe. I think there was one in France as well, and one in Germany. But it pretty much died a few, you know, a few, a few days or a few weeks after. And so, so no one had really, really uh, cracked, you know, the whole story of the Countess, uh, until, you know, we stepped in. But also I want to add to that is I, I also believe there is an admiration for the story and people want to believe in the Countess, want to believe in the fairy tale all along, even though sometimes the, there are indicators that it might not what they think it is. So I do want to talk about the actual dog for a second, even though, you know, I can think it's fair to say your series isn't really about the dog (laughs) after a few minutes. Um, But we do see Gunther riding around on jets and yachts and being served a giant piece of meat by a private chef in the opening shots of your documentary. Aurelian, what is a day in Gunther's life really like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, you know, I, I think first and foremost, you said it. I think we also wanted to show with this, this wealth and, you know, what we were exposed when we first jumped on this story. And that's, that's the world of Gunther. There, there's lavish properties, the, the private jet and, and that opulence that is, that was actually thrown at us by Maurizio and his entourage, kind of like as a reaffirmation of this is the story. This is the story they want us and they want the world to, to see. But the real, the real day to day of Gunter, I mean, Gunter is very well treated. Gunter lives in a beautiful mansion with Carla and he's, he's a very, very lucky, uh, lucky dog for sure. Probably always being fed, you know, with a private, by a private chef, the way it's, it's shown in the, in the series at the beginning, but. Very lucky dog for sure. Yeah, no, he should not be fed that way. I'm a dog owner, and I know that if you feed a dog that way all the time, it will fart a lot. So I'm like, please (laughs) do not feed that dog cooked steak all the time. That is no good. So the Countess's will, I'm putting the air quotes, the Countess's will, uh, said that Gunther must have a caretaker. Uh, That is Maurizio Mian. Emily, can you tell me your impressions of him? Ah, uh, where do I start? <laughs> Maurizio is definitely uh, an extremely interesting character. And he, uh, when we first met him, it was about, you know, gaining his trust and getting access to that story and then just understanding who is behind Gunther and who is behind the dog. But then we realized as we got to know him and, and just entered his web of fantasies and truth and lies, we just realized there was such a much deeper person behind this character presented in the media or this person that's that's pulling the strings of the dog. And and we were just fascinated by him. We were fascinated by who he was and his personal struggles. And and it was just, you know, a very great relationship. We still talk to him a lot and we feel like he's a very interesting person. So Aurelian, I'm curious. Um, so the public with all of this media attention on Maurizio and Gunther, did people consider Gunther the lucky one or did they consider Maurizio the lucky one for getting to travel around with this dog and enjoy this ostensibly this dog's inheritance? I can try to answer. I mean, for me, it was when we started looking into this story, we actually felt that people might actually believe that Maurizio is in, you know, has the sweetest job in the world. Because if you don't know the 
you know, the, the real story that this is Maurice's money, you might think, oh, is this person taking advantage of his position and he's buying, you know, Madonna's house and he's buying all these luxurious lifestyle and just tagging along with this dog and just because someone gave him that position and, and, and maybe a little bit of abusing that power of, uh, you know, making decisions for the dog for the benefit of the dog. But how is buying Madonna's house for the benefit of the dog? It's always trying to fit in those reasonings into getting what he wants out of this situation. So we felt that this was kind of what we were starting and how we were thinking people were perceiving Maurizio uh, as a caretaker. And then when we reveal that it's his money, it kind of turns, you just realize, oh, it was actually his money all along. So he could have done all this and he could have uh, bought all these, uh, you know, very luxurious items and done all these trips, but he did it with the dog. So we kind of get into the details of what is in this will, these documents throughout your series. And at first I thought, you know, giving hundreds of millions of dollars to a dog would be perhaps the strangest thing. But then we get into the fact that it says there has to be this group with five performers in it. Maurizio came to me and said, hey, Lee, um, form a group that's going to sing and dance on behalf of the richest dog in the world. It was actually listed in the will. The countess had laid out a plan. Can you just talk a little bit about how the Burgundians came into existence? I know. It, this this kind of was part of the fun and wild ride we were on as we were discovering more and more things about the story and about Gunther's trust. And there's, uh, So there's the first beneficiary is the dog in the trust, but the second beneficiary is a group called the Gunther Group. And there's different versions of that group. So there was the Burgundians, there was the GR5, there were many versions of that group. It was framed as a pop group, a media group that would be dancing and singing and living with the dog and enjoying that lifestyle, living in Madonna's house. But then it turned out to be uh, something totally different that some of the characters knew they were going into and others didn't. But it turned into this a little bit more twisted uh, scientific experiment uh, about happiness, uh, which is another twist that, uh, you know, that happens in the series. And we were every turn and every every ride was uh, was a bit of a surprise to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aurelian, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this experiment in the in the pursuit of happiness, because it just seems like we're going to set up the perfect conditions, make it so that you can do very little except be beautiful, exercise, hang out, have sex uh, in this gorgeous house. And we're going to measure, quote, like how happy you are. But like, not with real scientists. I couldn't quite figure out like how this experiment was actually working. I mean, it almost seemed like he was just sort of set up, setting up a reality show, Maurizio was, that he could just watch and, and enjoy or something. Yeah, well, Mauricio always says that he's, he's uh, the big brother before big brother, that he invented, <laughs> invented big brother. And that was kind of like his version of big brother, of putting these beautiful people in a house and giving them everything that they could hope for uh, and watch their every moves. And of course, sex was a big part of it. We were doing research, trying to attempt to find exactly what that center of joy is. What brings joy? What brings joy? Let's do things which makes people happy and watch them. Yes, it looks very much like a, a reality show 
but there are actually there were actually some uh, players and some actors that were really uh, there for the wrong reasons, and they were not you know scientists by all means. But there was actually a real scientific research behind. Um, we learned uh, during our research that the uh, the data, the information coming from those from those days in the house were actually given to Matteo Pacini, who we interviewed, who's a real scientist, a legitimate scientist. And they, so even though it felt very much like a reality setting, really bizarre setting, uh, they, they were trying to pursue, and they are still trying to pursue a real scientific research on happiness. There is a legitimate, you know, uh, uh, research behind these experiments. So we identified five factors, which were the simplification of the initial commandments. This represented a top level of human existence to which anyone would like to um, ascend. I think that Mauricio's genius and Mauricio's eccentricity took it to another level that most people would, you know, wouldn't be able to, to digest and understand coming from these experiments. That's yeah. the problem. What was interesting, and I, I loved your film so much because very often I had a question and then you address it right in the moment I have it because these members of this group, you know, had they, just, they had to stay in the house, they had to be around the dog, they had to have sex with each other. And I found myself wondering, like, this is a little bit culty. <laughs> and in just that moment, uh, you ask Lee, I think it was, whether or not it was a cult, which should have been a simple answer. Do you feel like that could almost be cult-like? <laughs> not at all. Um, okay, so, wow, <laughs> that is hilarious. So if you put into context today what the word cult means, that comes from a negative fear place. And when you're in a group that is pushing joyous things, then there's no real need for an allegiance. So my question for you, and I'd love both of you to answer this, um, was it a cult? <laughs> really? And what do you think? Was this a cult of just a few people? I think I think it was a cult of, of perfection. Yeah. I don't think it was a cult in the sense that you would, you know, you would think of, 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 of a cult where people were trapped and were brainwashed and couldn't have any control over what they were thinking or doing. It was not like that. People were free to go. Uh, but who wouldn't stay? You know, if you are given everything you need, including the best food and, and the best house in the world and, and with the wealth and so on, like it, it was attractive. These people wanted to be there. They were happy to be there. They were single. They were young and they were free of mind. So, so, so basically, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I would, I would call it a cult of perfection because that was, you know, it, it's almost like if you look at Instagram these days, it was almost like, this is an influencer. This is, this is Mauricio's version, version of influencers back 20 years ago or 23 years ago. So it was a cult of perfection, yet not a, a, a bad one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm just curious, what do you think, Emily? It was like a little bit culty to you? I mean, it just seemed like it had the trappings a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, no, te definitely. And that's kind of what, what led us to ask these questions. I mean, uh, you've got a group of people, you know, put into a house uh, and they're given instructions, commandments, a way of, you know, a lifestyle, guidelines for a perfect lifestyle. Uh, the documents that we read were wild. Like there were just so many interesting comparisons to 
pop music and uh, pop culture and 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 a lot of different things that like it felt like a very weird cult but it felt a little cultish and and definitely there's a person on uh you know at the helm of it you know Maurizio kind of controlling and kind of mastering the the puppets uh, yeah. you know from above and gathering all these data for scientists so there's definitely a cultish aspect to it but then these people were just there willingly were enjoying you know all the all the aspects of the wealth of that dog. And um, I think it was also Mauricio's attempt. I think this group was Mauricio's attempt to to start this research, but also he was trying to do something like we were, you were saying about Big Brother or something kind of like to also try to share information about this research, share something with the world, which he didn't necessarily accomplish because, you know, he was maybe in the wrong era for this. Right. Uh, you know, influencers didn't exist. Social media didn't exist. So. That's right. But yeah, there was definitely a little cultist aspect to this. So there are some very funny aspects of this and, and some dark aspects of this. And I just want to like pause for a second and talk about something that struck me as very funny to see if it also struck you as funny. Um, you asked Maurizio if there was ever a problem with jealousy in the house. And he tried to quote lyrics to a Spice Girls song. Marriage, boyfriends, is all, all words that should disappear. It's too important to, uh, to have uh, joy with sex. And also the Spice Girls uh, told this. The Spice Girls? Yes. I don't think he understood that Spice Girls song at all. (laughs) (laughs) Agree or disagree? He did not get the lyrics to that Spice Girls song at all <laughs> we, we do agree with you and we thought it was we thought it was absolutely hilarious and we we uh we we played along with it for sure. and, and this is Mauricio for you in a nutshell i mean he's constantly quoting uh you know things from uh pop culture and he has so many random and interesting analogies for everything that you that he lives through so it was definitely a fun moment for us but then, of course, there's a very dark moment, unintentionally funny, but then it goes to a very dark place moment because part of this grand experiment is to, you know, breed this generation of eternally happy people is what he's thinking. And he sort of catches himself as he's explaining this. He understands, but sort of says like it It sounds a little like he doesn't use the word eugenics, but that's what he's talking about. And I'm just curious to know when you were talking to him and he said that, what did you think? I think what it what is interesting about this is that he didn't come forward with this information right away. This was like a long, you know, a process of, you know, obviously we spent two years making this documentary and this was a little bit more along the way when we had really created this relationship with him and understood all the other pieces of the story. Matteo Pacini was the one to reveal this in his interview. And then we kind of I don't know if you hear it from us, but we were caught. Uh, we were caught in surprise. Uh, we were like, "Are you talking about breeding people? Like what?" My initial hesitation was, "Wait a second, this is going a little bit to master race for me." You know, you're this beautiful bug, and let's see if you mate with the other beautiful bug, and let's see if we get another butterfly out of that. And um, it was kind of scary territory. It was very scary territory. Uh, and this was kind of like something that Maurizio had not shared with us yet. So when we went back for another interview with Maurizio, we confronted him on this. And I think he had always been a little bit, you know, scared of sharing that information just 
because of the reaction he's had in the past. I don't think he really meant it that way, but I think it's the reactions he had he had in the press a few years before when he really started talking about that part of their research and being a little bit more open about it. And so, uh, and that's this is kind of why I feel like he was a little bit guarded about uh, what his intentions were with this research, but also uh, how it could be misinterpreted. Hmm. So I want to ask you about a couple of your creative choices. Aurelia, you use a lot of uh, behind the scenes shots and moments that usually don't make it into a film like this. And I'm wondering, was there an attempt to make things seem more playful to sort of show that things aren't what they see? So I thought, I'm sorry, sure. can you stop? Okay. Can you take your beads off? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we can't see them, yeah, but I can hear them. Sure, oh, yeah. no worries. Well... I'm just curious about about that choice. Yeah, the choice is is really to um, to take the viewers on the same journey that we that we took as filmmakers. Really, the story really was unfolding in front of us, and we were searching and researching and finding things. And the behind the scene is really our POV, and we wanted our voice also to uh, to reflect that and our questions and the way the way things. It really was a progression uh, over the, the the two years that we filmed with them of us learning things, and uh, those twists and turns came with you know with time. I, I really don't know. I don't know that the counter ties in the story. Do, are you clear with Mauricio this thing? I'm a careful person. Cut, please. The behind the scenes is, is a creative choice for us to be like you know the viewers are all with us in the same room. You see what we feel. We see. The questions we ask you hear us interact with them. This is this is an investigative journey as well hmm. for us. I also think, like it, like you say, it was a little bit it, the little comedy that comes out of it. Also comes from our reactions, or sometimes us being confronted to, with new facts and new things. They were like, oh, "Hold on, this doesn't make any sense." Or, and then this is kind of our way of of, of taking that viewer on the same journey as we were just discovering things on the go and then adding things up and we're like, oh, hold on, this person is not saying the full truth. Like, so I think it's, it's also a playful way of, uh, you know, all the questions we asked to Carla, you know, is this the real gun or is this this? And then she kind of always, you know, rebukes the answer. So but, like, cagey, plays yeah. along with us. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, it's also their way to like play along with us. And it's, it, it was a fun, like, it was definitely fun to just engage with them that way. Well, that actually brings me to my next question. Because you have a very, very, very well-behaved German Shepherd in a lot of your shots. And I'm wondering, did you use the real Gunther or did you also have a stand-in Gunther for some of your film? <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you have to understand that, uh, you know, Gun, they, they have a few clones. And we, yeah. we actually revealed that in the series that they, they use clones to some capacity. You know, they want to protect the real Gunther or the Gunther that, they, they, that lives with Carla. Gunter, in some in some instances, we had to use their clones that they were providing. You know, we were we were never asking those questions. We would be like, you know, we're filming uh, on this day, and we're you know we need you and Gunter, and they will bring sometimes the real Gunter, sometimes a clone. So we didn't have control over that. Little did we know that sometimes, yeah, we were filming with a clone, and and so we wanted to do our due diligence and and explain that in the series. Uh, there's a moment that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite moments where uh, Emily asked Carla, Emily and Carla had a great relationship. And so Emily is kind of like asking Carla all the time, is that the real Gunter? Is that the real Gunter? And Carla, you know, is always kind of like lying to us about the, the real Gunther. 
and and she is she always has this smile and she she's kind of like yeah that's the real Gunther. But so we know we understood that this is the game they play with Gunther and that there's the one that lives with Carla and they are the clothes that they use uh, when they need when they don't want the real Gunther to travel and so on. So you're using the word clones, which is a word that actually Maurizio uses at the end of the film because he's like trying to get you to spin this. I I think he's just trying to suggest that you make the story juicier by implying that the dogs are actually clones. But do you mean you're not talking you're not saying they're literally clones, right? You're saying that they're dogs that look like Gunther, right? (laughs) No, no, yes. no, 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 they're, they're like uh, stand-ins. <laughs> yes, uh, for, for lack of a better word, it, 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 yes, indeed. I, did, I didn't mean uh, genetically clone. That's a funny concept, yes. I think he incepted that idea to you because now you're using the word he wanted you to use because Maurizio is very good at that. <laughs> I know. And at the end, actually, it was, it was funny because that came out of losing the story of the Countess and he was trying to, come up with something that would kind of replace yeah. it. And- I had a, a stronger, a stronger solution. What I thought, what I proposed, but never said because it was too strong to me. The dogs were cloned. So I have an idea for your film, now that you don't have the Countess anymore. <laughs> Let's make this that's a story exactly about clones. It's crazy. That's, that's exactly what happened, and that's that's a good projection of, of Mauricio's you know, mind and brain and where he lives. He's always looking for the next big move. Okay, so speaking of the story falling apart, it does come undone after this banking scandal in Liechtenstein. It's revealed that the money the Countess left to Gunther was actually money that came from Maurizio's mother. So do I understand this correctly, that Maurizio was never really spending Gunther's money? He was spending his own money, right? Yes, correct. That's very right. That's very true. So I've often said and I've often thought that there are like two main things that really rich people want. And one is to live forever. And the second one is to not pay taxes. And so <laughs> like Maurizio really plays into the stereotype, right? With these experiments <laughs> and this very elaborate tax dodge with a dog as the middleman, Right. So that, I mean, you know, we can we can only lay out the facts that that we found during our research. But yeah, that's partly what intrigued us from the start, for sure. That 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 part of the story, and we knew that when you have a dog that's you know worth uh, so much money <clears throat> and a team of people surrounding that wealth, that there there's a lot more to the story. So why do you think Maurizio's mother went along with this idea of taking her fortune and funneling it through this trust in the name of a dog? Do either one of you have a thoughts about that? I think, you know, Martin and his mother had a very complex relationship. Uh, and I think Maurice's mom at that point had understood, uh, you know, that he, that her son had some eccentricities and was dealing with, I think what we didn't know from this, you know, from the beginning, we found out in it, it just, it just explained a lot more of the stories that Maurizio was dealing with this depression, dealing with, you know, living this fantasy world as, you know, a cover for his own personal struggles. In the, the son of the Countess was one of the characters, you know, that we know from the series he, uh, he invented. And, and, and all this fantasy really gave him an outlet and, and was something that he lived through. So I think Maurizio's mom was standing behind this. And, and I think everyone in, in, in Maurizio's life really uh, lives that fantasy with him, you know, Carla now before his mom before, because they just wanted him, uh, they just wanted him to have his fantasy and just to 
continue, you know, living for it. And in terms of the money, I think his mom leaving that money into a trust, there was a little bit more of also protecting him from, you know, there's all these people who are also part of that trust and he has uh, fiduciaries and he has all these people that he has that also uh, manage the money that it just maybe was a way also to make sure that the money was also being taken care of and then he, he she could leave him in good hands. What was really interesting to me was that in some of the interviews, a lot of Maurizio's associates would stop themselves from answering questions because they didn't know how much he had revealed to you at that point. But then when you would confront him with things, you know, your findings, like big findings, like there was no death certificate for the countess, like he would always ultimately come clean. Like it's almost like he's he wanted to tell the truth. He was just waiting for someone to ask him. Um, Is that what it felt like, Aurelian, when you were speaking to him? Like he was like, okay, I yeah, sure. Like, that's how it seemed to me as the viewer. Absolutely, you're right. I think we developed a relationship with him <clears throat> over the course of the, the making of the series that allowed us to to be sincere. And you know, I think it we started with a very singular approach when we first talked to Maurice, when we first uh, started discussing this series. And I think that's exactly what perhaps you know intrigued him. And we told him, you know, Mauricio, that there's you know there's your stories out there. We we understand that. There's, there's wealth, there's the rich dog, but we, we want to understand, we want to fully understand the, 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 the real reasons for this because we, we don't want the fluffy piece on this. We really want to dig deeper and understand the origins of the wealth. And we, we were very honest with him from the get-go that we were going to be there for the long run and that we were going to really find all the answers to, to the story. And, the, and, and, and I think he was open to that. Hmm. Uh, Mauricio has spent 30 years building this, this story and entertaining that story. And I think you're, you are right. Maybe timing played a very important role in his mind where it was like, you know what, maybe I'm, I felt comfortable with Emily and Aurelian. I felt comfortable in this situation, in this moment, I'm, I'm going to tell him the full story. And that's how, and that's why we, we were able to, to get all these revelations yeah. with trust and, and, you know, no, I also think it was interesting because, you know, I think everyone was 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 confused about the process because I think it was the maybe the first time that Maurizio did not control the narrative and Maurizio didn't, you know, necessarily like he's done all these different things along the years, but he always was at the helm of it and he always controlled uh you know the narrative and his and and so it was a little bit of a of a of a struggle for him to understand where he could come in and he would talk to certain people before you know certain interviews but we were able to go deeper but it was great that like as Aurelian said that he, he was in from the beginning and we knew we were gonna get uh, you know a little deeper he didn't realize he was going to get as deep as we went and he was going to have to let go of so much more of his story, but he had already started it. So he wanted us to, he, he was trusting us to where we were taking the story. My favorite moment with Carlos when you were talking about why they go to the Bahamas and she was like, I can't talk about it. And she does the, you know, the handcuffs symbol. And then she goes, we love the islands. <laughs> My yeah. best Carla moment in the entire thing. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of characters, I have to ask, I cannot talk to you guys without asking what it was like to talk to Fabrizio Corona, that guy. His name is Fabrizio Corona. He's an Italian Charlie Sheen. You're on house arrest right now. Yeah. You cannot go out. You cannot do anything. Oh. Yeah, you can fuck. What was it like talking to that guy? It was it was it was absolute 
craziness. Um, <laughs> it was yeah. the wildest interview of my career. I, I think Emily can share can share that. I uh, second that. That, sta- <laughs> that statement. Uh, I mean, if you want some details, uh, we we first of all, you know, we he, he was on ha- house arrest that day, so we we had to come to him. He's been on house arrest for a long time because he he got sentenced to thirteen years in jail. But new people that knew, you know, I think he was actually pretty close to Berlusconi at the time. And so he was, he had his way out and, and, and got, got lucky and got just a house arrest for the, re- after two years or something like that. But anyway, long story short, we went to his, his home for the interview and he was, he's just a loose cannon, very, very, you know, into himself and, and very, very interesting situation. Uh, it, it was, it was hard for us to just manage to, to do an interview for two hours because there was, you know, it, it's just about him. And I think he had a hard time understanding the story. The, the series was not about him. The series was about Gunther, and we were asking questions about his relationship to Gunther and how he worked for the trust and for Mauricio. So he kept on going back to him and how many books he's written and how many famous uh, models he's dated and so on. So that was an interesting uh, interview, but very wild. Yeah, I'm glad you included it though because it did, did, did. It was representative of just sort of the people that flowed in and out of this, and it was very, very telling. Um, and there were a lot of int- really interesting sort of side stories and unexpected places that your series went. And you know, there was a very troubling one, of course, this account of this breeder who ensured that there would be new generations of Gunthers, and then there was this horrible, you know, dog neglect situation that occurred at that breeding facility. How much ultimately, Emily, do you think the Gunther Group? is tied to that or responsible for? Because it doesn't really seem clear. They really seem like to want to distance themselves from that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it was hard for us. And we obviously we can't we, we can't judge and we yeah. can't tell we can't who's speculate. to blame for this. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, obviously when we started digging into the story of Gunther, this was not, you know, what we expected. And we were really troubled by this storyline when we realized this was something it was an uh, it was an account that was very recent also in the story of Gunther it happened in 2019 2020 so uh they were still kind of dealing with the fallback from that he was uh, going enough fine in the past i assure you that Alarico has always always kept the situation perfectly well uh, I know that something, you know, very bad happened, but uh, this uh, was was completely unknown for everybody. We knew we had to include it. It was part of the story of Gunther. It was a little bit lo- less of the lighter story and the fun things that we had been, uh, you know, showing and, 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 and discussing before. But obviously we're big dog lovers, so it affected us also. You know, we were very shocked by the accounts that we were hearing in interviews and very troubled by them. But at the same time, we gave everyone a voice. Uh, we interviewed the breeder. We asked, you know, we pushed Maurizio and Carla on these on this subject. We know all of them were affected very deeply. We have all the facts and the accounts from everyone uh, that, you know, were part of this. So, uh, yeah, who's to blame? We don't know. Yeah. We just, you know, we presented the facts, we presented the interviews and and that's kind of our it was our best way of covering this part of the story so at the end it becomes clear you know there was no countess there was no son named gunther 
all these experiments with all of these sexy models. You know, it was basically an attempt for Maurizio to find happiness and overcome his like lifelong depression. And this quirky story ends up really with this note of like deep sadness and, and tragedy to it. And the question really comes down to after all these lengths that Maurizio has gone to is, you know, is he happy? Can he be happy? And he says, perhaps. What were your thoughts about that, Aurelian? You know, do you think he can find that? Uh, well, I think I think he has moments of happiness and and times where he feels he feels very happy. Um, but it's it's a very um, it's a very serious topic, mental health, and and so I'm not a doctor, but but our understanding is that you know there are waves of depression and happiness, and I think he's he's caught in the middle of that, and he's been dealing with that for for a long time, and. Yes, those those uh, very outlandish things that he's done in his life were were definitely a apart from the scientific research, they were also a way for him to escape and to project himself and to keep himself happy in the long run uh, by having these things happening and having these things on you know uh, part of his of his daily daily routine. So it's an escape, I believe. Uh, you know that also helped him deal with that. Well, at least Gunther, I have to say, looked pretty happy. That dog seems to have it pretty good. (laughs) So, Aurelian and Emily, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed your series. Thank you so much for joining me, and you can't make this up to talk about it. It was a real pleasure talking to you both. Likewise. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure uh, being being on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your interview, and we hope you, uh, you enjoyed the series. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Aurelian Letergie and Emily Dumay. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, films, podcasts, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack and Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up as a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>